Well, hello, folks. This is Peter Englert from the Why Gotta Why podcast. I am here with our illustrious producer, uh, Dylan Carnival. I'm also here with our co-host, amazing. I didn't get an adjective today. Well, That's no, okay. it, was, it was coming later. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of not getting adjectives, our question today is, why don't I feel happy? So wow. we, we are here with Pastor Derwin Gray. Derwin used to play football in the NFL, also at BYU, but he's also a pastor of a wonderful uh, multiracial church and talks about diversity, but also just recently wrote the book, The Good Life. So we are very excited to hear his perspective on why don't I feel happy? John, what thoughts do you have? Well, first of all, I'm really happy to be talking with Derwin today. This is going to be a good convo. But I, I, I also am struck just by the fact that, uh, you know, I mean, we're going through a pandemic right now. We, As we are recording this, we're still in the midst of this. It was like 15 days to flatten the curve, and I think it's day like... 184 as we're recording this or whatever. And so I think people are feeling very stressed right now. They're feeling like they don't know when they're going to come out of this. And a lot of people, I think, would label themselves currently as we speak pretty unhappy, mm. you know, in general. So I think that's why this convo is is at a good time, hopefully, for people. Yeah. You know, I was just talking with a friend yesterday that they're mentoring someone and this person's like their reason for divorce is I deserve to be happy. Uh And I just couldn't help but think about our conversation with Derwin today because I think people say that and they think it's a great, you know, like I deserve to be happy. But I think the rest of the world kind of cringes. But that could be me. But anyways, let's get started. Uh, You know, Derwin, our first question to you is, you know, since you've kind of wrote a book, I'm actually, I have it right here for those of you who are listening. Um, How would you define happiness? Wow, that's an awesome question. And I was just marinating and listening to you guys uh, just reflect and before I jump into the question, I just would like to add some pastoral insight because uh, pandemic fatigue is real. Mm. Um, quarantine and not being able to go outside and exercise where you release serotonin and endorphins is real. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to teach, doing homework for your children when they're in the classroom is hard. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't know what kind of uh, uh, school these kids learn in the day, but I remember when my son was like in sixth grade, I was like, son, I can't help you, bro. Right. I, I don't know what kind of algebra this is. So uh, I make a joke, but in all seriousness, uh, mental health is declining. Uh, people are living in with uncertainty, uh, racial trauma is among us the hostility of the political divide, Mm -hmm. uh, the recession, all this stuff is happening. So what I want to say to people is number one is don't beat yourself up. Mm. Uh, This is the first time that we as a generation have ever gone through anything like this and it is real. Secondly, you can be happy. Uh, As a matter of fact, I'll put it to you this way. 
for a child of the king, happiness is a birthright. Mm. Now, let me let that just pause yeah, there for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I need to. I feel like I need to let that simmer for a second. That's a yeah. That's yeah, a yeah. that's a yeah. deep it, phrase. For a child of the king, birthright. it's a birthright. It is. It is a birthright. As a result of the new birth, we're born into the very happiness of God. But let me pause here. Often, what we do is we overlay a Western understanding of happiness. So what we do is we say, I deserve to be happy. So that means I have everything that I want. That means I've got the dream job, the dream girl, the dream guy. I'm getting promotions. Everything that I want, the circumstances are right. Therefore, I'm happy. Hmm. And what I want to propose, but more importantly, what I believe Jesus proposes to us is he proposes to us a happiness that transcends circumstances. The happiness that Jesus is inviting us into is not about good things happening to us perpetually. It's actually about God making us good for the world. Hmm. And where do I get this from? Well, back in 2014, uh, I was mentoring people, discipling people, and they were unhappy, whether they were Christians, male, female, rich, poor, whatever. And so I thought to myself, what does Jesus say about happiness? In hiding in plain sight in the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher to ever exist or will ever exist, Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount with what is traditionally known as the Beatitudes. Mm -hmm. He climbs up to a hill. His disciples are sitting down overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and he opens up with this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is kingdom of heaven. And Jesus describes seven characteristics of a blessed person. And the Greek word blessed is the word makros. And makros literally means happy. Mm-hmm. So happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the humble. Happy are those who hunger thirst for righteousness. Happy are those who are merciful. Happy are the pure in heart. Happy are the peacemakers. Happy are the persecuted. And so happiness, so back to your original question, happiness is about God making us good. That's what happiness is. You know, I just, this is why I love these episodes. You just started um, by talking about the pandemic and I love when pastors are pastors. So I guess I'm just kind of, I just want to back up. I mean, what are you hearing about the people that you're doing life with that made you answer that way? Because even just you kind of saying like, hey, this is really hard right now. I I guess I'd kind of care. I'm curious. You went that direction. And I I just want to hear a little bit more because I think that that can be. I mean, we're recording this in Rochester, New York. We have protests for Daniel Prude. We have the pandemic. And it just seems like you've really, and you used to have a blog series on Christianity Today, marinate on this. You've really been marinated. I mean, what are you seeing and hearing that you're really relating your book and also just ministering to people? Because I think that that's powerful. Yeah, thank you. You you know, 
there are things that God does that you have no idea that that's what he's doing. So I finished a manuscript for The Good Life in the fall of 2019. And I wrote about, in chapter five, I wrote about how the early church responded to pandemics. I had no clue we would be in one. And in chapter eight or nine of The Good Life, Happier the Peacemakers, I wrote about Rodney King in 1992 and police brutality. And then I go on to talk about police brutality. I go on to talk about division between Republicans and Democrats and all this animosity. I had no idea that the eight minutes and 46 seconds of George Floyd would awaken a generation of people to say, maybe there's something to what black people have been saying. Mm. I had no idea. Like I couldn't have timed that. All I knew is that when I was writing, I sensed God's presence. I sensed his power. And also I'm learning about who I am. Um, If you want, and no disrespect, but if you want a Ted talk, I'm not your guy. (laughs) But if you want to know about Jesus, his gospel, his kingdom, his life, his power, I'm your guy. Mm. And I'm being secure in that, that in the Beatitudes, I want Christian and non-Christian alike to get back to Jesus. And so what I'm hearing is you have some folks, like we have a family at our church where this precious wife, she's in her 60s, she lost her daughter to COVID and her husband to COVID in the same week. And we're ministering to them. Uh, I'm seeing people um, struggling with, like, why why is everybody so angry? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm seeing white people going, okay, I know there's racial injustice, but I don't know how. I'm seeing Gen Z saying, this is injustice. I'm going to go to the streets. But if they don't understand that justice without Jesus leads to vengeance, they're going to burn stuff down, Mm. which is when you move into anarchy, you're becoming the very thing that you say that you're against. Justice, Jesus style, has grace for the oppressor and freedom for the oppressed. Wow. Jesus's justice, Jesus's grace has enough room at the table for the woman caught in adultery and the Pharisees who are going to pick up stones to throw at her. And so we live in a nation that needs this good life, this type of happiness. You know, uh, I'm seeing people struggle with mental health. Um, sadly, uh, a, a, a family that we've done life with for years, they were not a part of our church. And we watched their son grow up. He was in his late 20s and He's had an opioid addiction for 10 years and he overdosed and died. Mm. Um, you know, mental health is really being affected. Before COVID, one in five Americans struggled with brain illness. The brain is an organ, just like your liver, your kidney, and we need to remove the stigma, right? Mm. And so part of my job in the good life is to redirect people toward Jesus, but also to say, take a step back. For example, my, my, my wife's granddad was born in 1914. So that means he lived through World War I, 
the Spanish flu, which killed 50 million people, the Great Depression, World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the gas shortages of the 70s, all the Persian Gulf Wars that are still going on. You know, so keep in mind that this is not the worst of times. Mm-hmm. And when Jesus wrote what he wrote, leprosy was everywhere. The brutal Romans ruled with an iron fist. Poverty, sickness, disease was real. And so we have a God who can sympathize with us and say, happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. People are like, how can you be happy by being sad? Mm. I said, well, what Jesus is communicating to us is that when our hearts are so tethered to his heart, when his hand holds our hands and we clutch it, what breaks his heart breaks our heart. And as our heart is broken for a world that is broken, our capacity to love people is increased. And that's God's goal. Mm. One of the most difficult things and sad things of American Christianity is oftentimes we only care about things that affect us or people who look like us. Mm. And to love my neighbor as I love myself means injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. And God's goal is to stretch the fabric of our souls to become more loving. So when we mourn, we connect with the God, the suffering servant of sorrows, Jesus himself. We connect with other people who are hurting. And we also are honest about our hurt. And in the midst of that, God brings out a supernatural happiness because we're closer to him Mm. and we become wounded healers to people who are wounded and hurt. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I feel like you've said so much in there, Derwin, that I just want to, I just want to ask, Oh, how about this? How about that? How about this? How about that? Uh, we could spend probably five hours on what you've already said. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in your own journey in this, because I find that, that when I'm speaking or I'm writing about something, it's often coming from a place of, or my best stuff, I'll just say, is coming from a place of I've experienced this in my life. Um, so, so how about in your life? How has this practically played out for you? Were there seasons in your life that you were like, I am just not a happy person right now? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I, I really appreciate what you said, particularly in our Instagram era. Mm-hmm. We can post pictures on Instagram of things that we haven't accomplished, but it looked like that we will. <laughs> and that's when people get into trouble is they fall into the gap of what I want to be, but what I'm not. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote this book out of the reality that I grew up in the hood on the West side of San Antonio, Texas. Uh, we didn't really have a church background. My mom was 16. Dad was 17. My grandmother, they, she and her, my granddad primarily raised me. It was a tough environment. It was a hard environment. As I look back now, I go, God, you were so gracious to not show me how bad it actually was. Mm-hmm. At about age 13, that's when I decided that football was going to be more than a game. Football was going to be my way out. I love the game, but the game, uh, I had a professional mindset. This is how I'm getting to college. Mm-hmm. This is how I'm going to escape my environment. So I get really good. 
get her a football scholarship to Brigham Young, which is a predominantly Mormon, all-white school. Uh, second semester of my freshman year, I meet this girl on the track team. She throws the javelin. Uh, that was incredibly sexy and terrifying all at once. <laughs> she, could, she, she could harpoon me and hug me. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> anyway, uh, we get engaged in college. We get married in college. I end up having a phenomenal career. Uh, I'm considered the best defensive back to ever play there. Uh, great honor. Went to the NFL, got drafted, and it was like, this is it. This is it, man. Mm. This is it. Uh, I'm not going to be that poor kid anymore. Uh, I'm going to send money home to Texas. It's going to fix everybody's problems. Man, I'm going to get a new car. I'm going to have nice clothes. I'm going to get all this stuff. My first year was miserable. Mm. It was miserable. First of all, I met the tax man. You guys know who the tax man is? <laughs> in it's New like, York, we know who the tax man is in New York. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I got this check, and I was like, where the rest of my money go? It went to some dude named FICA. I was like, I don't know FICA, and I don't want to give them no money. <laughs> so, so my check was cut in half. I was like, I am not rich. Uh, I didn't connect with a lot of guys on the team. My second year got better. My third year, I was a team captain. I was balling. I was playing good. Our team did great. But at the end of that year, that's when the Lord really began to get my attention because the things that I thought would satisfy didn't. Mm. Uh, the money didn't fix my family in Texas. It actually made it worse. Uh, I couldn't forgive myself for things that I had done. I was insecure. Like, who would I be when I couldn't play in the NFL anymore? I grew up as a compulsive stutterer, so speaking wasn't going to be a career. Mm. I couldn't love my wife the way she deserved to be loved. My body started breaking down, and the NFL stands for not for long. Mm -hmm. And all that began to weigh on, on, on me. So this world that I had constructed where I thought I would be happy, and don't get, get me wrong, there were fleeting moments of happiness, but I'm talking about something that's not contingent upon circumstances. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the God kind of happiness that's rooted in redemptive purpose, not simply, hey, things are going good, I'm happy. Like, yeah, that's expected, but there's a deeper and more beautiful dimension that God gives to us. And so in God's providence and in his mercy, I had a teammate by the name of Steve Grant. Every day he would take a shower, dry off, wrap a towel around his waist. He's 6'2", 240 pounds. And he'd walk around the locker room and he'd say to my teammates, do you know Jesus? And in my mind, I'm going, do you know you're half naked? <laughs> so, and, I, and this is a true story. Yeah. And so I was, I was like, this is really weird. A dude in the NFL walking around talking about, do you know Jesus? So I asked my teammates, I said, what's up with the half-naked black man walking around talking about, do you know Jesus? They said, don't pay no attention to him. That's the naked preacher. <laughs> One day I'm in my locker and I see him coming my way. I turn around as to ignore him. He taps me on the back and he asks me a question. That changed my life. He says, uh, Rookie D. Gray, do you know Jesus? 
And from that initial conversation, it was a five-year process of where I'm going through this existential moral crisis. Physically, I'm breaking down. And on August 2nd, 1997, it was my fifth year in the NFL. We were at Anderson University in Anderson, Indiana, training camp. Right after lunchtime. I remember it was August 2nd because on August 1st, we played the Cincinnati Bengals. And I tried to tackle this big running back named Corey Dillon. He slung me off of him and I stubbed my big toe. And I remember walking off the field, looking at a businessman who used to travel with the Colts. And I said, man, God's trying to tell me something. Uh And that next day, it was like just uh, the best way I can describe it is if you've ever seen the Grand Canyon, that's what my insides felt like. Not beautiful, but separated, divided. I got back to my dorm room and I called my wife on the phone and I said, I want to be committed to you and I want to be committed to Jesus. And at that moment, I felt when I was born again. I felt the divine love of Jesus pour over me. I felt the Father's forgiveness. I felt when I was new. Mm. And for like three nights straight, I just cried before I went went to bed. And it was like, how in the world can someone know all this about me and love me with this kind of intensity? Mm. Like, 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 Like for the first time, because my whole life was built on this. If you compete, if you perform, you're valuable. And like I said, I love my family. They had their own struggles, right? And, and, and there's much grace. But one of the poignant moments for me was my senior year in high school. And my granddad taught me work ethic. Like I've never seen a man miss a day of work. And so I'm thankful he fed me. He brought me in. I love him. Uh, but he was always tired because he worked. And, you know, he didn't really pay a lot of attention to me or go to my games because he couldn't. But I got the San Antonio Player of the Week, and I was on TV, and his favorite sports reporter was interviewing me. And he was getting ready to go to work on Sunday morning, and he heard Dan Cook's voice, the reporter. He turned around, and he saw me on TV, and he looked at me, and it was like, it was like he saw me for the first time. Mm. And for years, I was pissed. Mm. You know, I was pissed. I was mad. I was like, I'm thankful that you provided for, for, for me. But man, I've been here the whole time that I have to get on TV to be recognized. Mm-hmm. And so the devil attaches mm-hmm. to that idol, right? And so for the so when I so when when Jesus, when I discovered that Jesus discovered me, it was like, oh my gosh. I don't have to be famous to be seen. Mm. Before I was formed in my mother's womb, he saw me, he loved me. And so I've been in in passionate love with him. And so I entered into the kingdom. And then just over the years of sitting at Jesus's feet, it it was like, okay. But yeah, he wants to do more than forgive me. He actually wants to make me like him. And the Beatitudes are a living portrait of what Jesus actually looked like. Uh, Verse 12 of of, uh, Matthew 5 says, uh, Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
Well, righteousness is those seven characteristics of the Beatitudes. And so that's what the Lord wants to do in us and through us. So, Derwin, I, I want to push back on you a little bit because, <clears throat> so, well, yeah. So, you know, I can hear some of our listeners say, you know, I mean, Derwin, I think the only thing in your career that some of them would say would be to play for Bill Belichick and win six Super Bowls. But you, you, <laughs> you made it, you know, you got to yeah. play football and... You know, I'm thinking about even what you said before about the pandemic. And we have all these people that think happiness is over the horizon. And you're saying I had a taste of, you know, checking all my goals and I'm not happy. What would you say even to young Derwin at 21 years old or that 24 year old, 25, that's going up mm. the corporate ladder? Why should I choose this definition of happiness that God wants to make me good over what I want? How would you try to reason and just respond to that person? Yeah, you know, if uh, if today's Derwin could go back and talk to 23, 24-year-old Derwin, um, I would take him to eat because he loves to eat. <laughs> I'd take him to Outback. I would take him to Outback Steakhouse. Mm. And uh, and I would first of all to ask him about football because he loves football. And then I would say, uh, tell me about your greatest hurt. What, what's, what's hurt you the most? Mm. Then I would say, how do you think you're going to heal that hurt? Mm. And then I would list well, I'm going to make money. I'm going to do all these things and I'm going to accomplish. And then old Derwin would say, you know what? You are going to accomplish all those things. And on the outside, you're going to look great. But on the inside, you're going to be hurting because you are not attached to the one who can heal you and transform you. Mm -hmm. And then I would say this, if you want to be a great player in the NFL, let Jesus love you because you'll no longer play for your glory. You'll play for his, and that'll give you more motivation. Hmm. Mm. So, wow. Wow. So you're saying to those people out there who are, who are experiencing, Hey, I'm just trying to live for my happiness. I'm trying to get mine. You're saying to them, actually life is better actually you will experience a deeper happiness if you're living for something outside of yourself than if you're living for your, your happiness. Absolutely. 100%. And what I, and what I'm saying is, is this is your definition of happiness will actually change. Mm. Um, your circumstances may not change, but Jesus will change you so that you can have happiness in the midst of your circumstances, which isn't always smiling. You know, if I can give you an illustration. So my 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 son, uh, he and I are tight, just like me and my da daughter are tight. 2018 is his senior year in high school. He's one of the top defensive backs in the United States of America. He has multiple scholarship offers. He's 6'1", 210 at the time, runs a 4'5". So I'm 5'11". And when I played, when I first got to the NFL, I was 196. So he was nearly 20 pounds heavier, 
two inches taller and just as fast in high school. Mm. And he jumped higher in high school than I did in the pros. He didn't try to rub it in your face at all, did he? Because, yeah, I'm imagining my son and he would never try to rub that in my face. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no, but I did stop playing basketball with him yeah. when he hit 10th grade because it got ridiculous. But yeah. so state championship game, first quarter, one of his teammates gets blocked to the lower part of his leg, breaks his leg in eight di- different places. Oh. Lig- ligaments in his ankle is just torn. I'm looking on the field and I know he's hurt bad because I've experienced where he's at. Worst thing for a parent is when the head coach comes and says, hey, come down to the field. I jump down there. I go down down there. The doctor's medical staff is around him. He's laying there. There's a tear in his eye. And then I just went back to when he was a little boy, and I put my hand on his chest, and I put my hand on his head. I rubbed his head. I said, son, I am so proud of you, man. Gosh, I love you. I said, what a way to go out. Like, you literally gave a limb to win this game. Hmm. So carry him, him off the field. We put ice on his leg, prop it up. His ankle's about four times the size that it is on the inside. I'm hurting for him. Hmm. Stadium is full, but it's quiet. It's like a movie scene where it's just me and him, even though everybody's around and he looks at me and he's smiling. Hmm. And he says, God is so good. I said, what'd you say, son? He goes, dad, God is so good. I said, son, why are you saying that? He goes, well, dad, uh, I could have got hurt in the first game. Like I could have got hurt really bad. And I'm like, dude, have you looked at your ankle? (laughs) And he goes on this rift of just praising God for his goodness. And in that moment, I'm like, this is the good life. Mm -hmm. This is what happiness looks like. Circumstances didn't go his way. But he was worshiping and praising God in the midst of those circumstances, so much so that it affected me. My, My fear, my anxiety turned into worship. And we were worshiping together. And after that, we had to go to the hospital. And a few weeks later, he's in surgery for a few, for, for a few hours, mm. you know? And so that's what I want people to understand is that you don't have to be a slave to your circumstances to have the joy of the Lord. Wow. Um, you know, Derwin, uh, you know, most of our listeners are from the Rochester, New York area. And what I love, what you shared about your son is your son got bad news and there was still hope. And I think Christians, sometimes we cliche, you know, happiness. We say, God's going to do it. And, you know, right now this city is amid protests. So, you know, I talk Mm. with the black brothers and sisters that attend this church and it's kind of like, here we go again. Where's the justice? Um, You know, and I also think about as a pastor, I think about the white brothers and sisters here, you know, including myself, how do we support when's the chaos? And so I just, I want to hear from you, your unique perspective, you know, first to, you know, our black brothers and sisters, hey, 
you know, what's the hope in the midst of this situation with Daniel Prude, you know, with the protest? And then what would you want to say, you know, to us that are white about understanding the situation just based on what you said about knowing that God's good in all of this? I just, you know, just want you to be a pastor right now. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I've been keeping up with what's going on in Rochester and I, I just seen some heinous things of people being kicked out of restaurants. And once again, I'll just say, say this uh, justice without Jesus is vengeance and an eye for an eye makes everybody blind. Uh, what happened to the j- j- gentleman who was killed was obviously tragic. It's awful. And for my white brothers and sisters, um, you may be saying, well, why don't black people get mad when blacks shoot other, other, other blacks? And I understand that. And by, by the way, we do all sin is sin. It's important as white brothers and sisters to understand the historical narrative of policing in, in, in America. First caveat, our church has great relationships with the police. We can be pro-police and pro-police reform simultaneously. I pastor a bunch of police, and I love them, okay? But total depravity affects every aspect, right? So we can be pro-both. But for my white brothers and sisters to understand that there's a long history of police brutality and injustice. Mm-hmm. And what's not helpful is when white brothers and sisters in Christ say, well, um, don't talk about the past. But yet we say things like never forget 9-11. It was horrible. It's tragic. We should never forget 9-11. We were attacked. Mm. And we should never forget Native American genocide. We should never forget slavery. We should never forget women not being able to vote. We should never forget uh, 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 Jim Crow laws and segregation and the assassination of Dr. King. We will never find our destiny as a nation if we forget our past. Mm -hmm. Now, what I would say to my white brothers and sisters who are struggling at this point is your identity is in Christ, not in America. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times white brothers and sisters struggle with talking about race because any criticism of America tends to be a criticism of them. That can only be true if your identity is in America and not in Christ. When our identity is in Christ, we are able to see the systemic injustices of mass incarceration, of over-policing, of redlining, and all these other issues, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I would say is this. Jesus said, happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Mm. Peacemaking is in our DNA, and peacemaking is not passive. Peacemaking goes into the conflict with love and hopes of truth and reconciliation. You can't have reconciliation without truth. Mm. But reconciliation means... This, all of us are in need of God's grace. And then thirdly, what I would say is Jesus Christ 
not only forgave us of our sins, but he gave us a family of brothers and sisters with different colored skins. And we are to watch out for each other. We are to love each other. We are to advocate for each other. So what I say is this, is the first thing you want to do is you want to listen. Listen to the story of the other. Mm. Lament the story of the other. Okay? Listen, lament, learn the story of the other. And then fourth, leverage your life as an advocate for the other. And that's what Jesus did. Think about it. Jesus was not affected by sin, yet he came. Mm. So we don't have to be affected by something personally for us to care. And one of the things that I've seen over the years is that when white people adopt black kids, they go, oh my gosh, I had no idea. A sign of maturity is caring about something before that something personally affects you. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. So much in there. And I, I just feel like what you just shared about identity is core to kind of both, both things that we're talking about here today, because where we're placing our identity will impact where we're finding our happiness or not finding our happiness. Right. And so, Amen. and so much of the Sermon on the Mount really revolves around where we're placing our identity. Uh, or it could. I don't know. I'm. I'm. I'm maybe reading oh, yeah. into that a little bit too much. What you you could fill it in. Fill it. Fill it in as you wish. There, but um, do you think identity plays a part in? Absolutely. Yeah. One hundred percent. You are. You are heading in the right place. That that Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, right? Yeah. And the kingdom of God is synonymous with God's presence. God has always wanted to be with His people. God informs who we are, not the culture. And so God is informing us that in Christ, we are uh, poor in spirit, which means God-reliant. In Christ, we mourn, which means our hearts break for what breaks God's heart. In Christ, we're humble. Philippians 2, 3 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility consider others better than yourself, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so, yeah, you're hundred percent right. We get a new identity in Christ. So me being black is not my primary identity. My primary identity is being a Christian who happens to be black. So therefore we're not color blind. We're color blessed. Wow. Um, Derwin, this has been so, so helpful. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess I would just kind of, I think we're probably at a good place just to close. We're going to have to have you back on again. Um, but our last question is always surrounded by Jesus. And what would Jesus have to say about why am I not happy? So the good news about this is John and I are going to answer this question. And then whatever heresy or however we mess it up, you just get to clean it up at the end. Does that sound good? <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> so, um, you know what? Whoever asks the question usually goes second, but I'll go first to let John. Woo, good. So there yeah, we go. Yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking about this. I was reading uh, to my daughter Haley uh, from the Jesus Storybook Bible this morning, and it was the it was a prodigal son. And I I just I can't get past everything that we talked about and how I'm remembering that and how the son leaves the father 
and probably even in modern day to be happy and loses everything and loses all the money. And on the way, you know, from feeding pigs, and I love the way Sally Lloyd-Jones uh, calls it. I believe she says the he prepared the I'm so sorry speech. And um, the father who's been waiting there in this story just interrupts him and hugs him. And I just, you know, I'm thinking about every person that's here that's listening to this podcast about happiness, whether you think that you're on the trajectory to be happy because you're going to get everything you want or you're a cynic right now and you're thinking there's no point to being happy in this chaotic, poor world and and just this whole last conversation of identity that when you know that you are God's son or God's daughter and you know that God is transforming and changing you, how powerful that is um, to really making you happy, to make you good because God has. So that's what I'm leaving with. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm I'm thinking of another story that Jesus told, and again, it relates to what Derwin you were sharing, and and he tells a story about a a guy who finds this treasure in a field, like this buried treasure, and it's worth millions of dollars, and 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 it says in his joy, I believe it actually said Jesus says he's telling the story in his joy, he goes out and he sell and he sells everything he has to buy this field because he knows that what's in that field is so much worth more worth than anything else that he has. And, and, and he just rejoices at the treasure that, that he's found uh, in this field. And I, I think about so many times my happiness is, is based. I feel like on my circumstances, if I'm in the, if I'm not, in the right place with God, I'm I, I'm always focusing on the next thing or what what else could be, but it's in those times where I realize that I I sell out everything to God. God, here's everything here and and here's my whole life. Those are the happiest times of my life. You know when when I'm just surrendered to Him, and those are the places that I yearn to be more and more. And and. Uh, I love that that's what Jesus invites us into. Isn't this, he isn't inviting us into this drudgery of a life. He's inviting us into a, a truly happy life, um, but a, a deeper happiness that most of us ever experience. Hmm. So Derwin, what do you think? You know, uh, both of you guys, that was beautiful. Uh, I would just say this, um, the happiness that Jesus invites us into produces the holiness we were created for. Mm -hmm. That holiness is what love looks like. God is holy. So from all eternity, the Father, the Son, and Spirit were in this sacred, holy love community. And salvation is the invitation to the party. Mm. Man, that's a powerful way to close. I, I want to encourage all of you. I have yet to read it, but I will be reading The Good Life. Um, if we had cameras here, I'd show it to you. But, um, you know, Derwin mentioned it today. You can follow him on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just look up Derwin Gray. And um, we'd love for you to follow. I'd encourage all of you to share this post. I think this is a powerful 
uh, just a powerful episode when it comes out. And uh, lastly, leave us a review and go to whygotawhypodcast.com. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again. Thank you so much for joining us.